0: This episode is a conversation with Paul Maximuk and Donnie Walker of Newcomb and Boyd, a company focused on smart building consulting and engineering. We talked about some major themes for our industry in 2022, including hybrid office and decarbonization, and the major themes showing up on their active project list right now, including converged networks, the independent data layer, and building operating systems. So without further ado, please enjoy the Nexus podcast with Newcomb and Boyd. Hello, Donnie and Paul. Welcome to the show. Great to have you guys on. Let's start with you, Donnie. Can you introduce yourself and and give us a little bit about your background? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having us on, James.
1: So I'm uh, Donnie Walker. I'm a partner with Newcomb and Boyd, and I... I manage our uh, technology groups, so that includes our traditional IT, AV, and security. But about 10 years ago, we started our intelligent building practice, and I lead that team, and that's really where I spend most of my time. And my my background is in communications design, um, Hmm. RCDD, structured cabling, network design. And part of the reason that we started our intelligent building practice is that by me seeing all of the systems that we design and the how the depth that we go into AV systems and security systems, and really understanding how they all work and working with contractors to get it done right. And then I saw the building automation world where the MEP puts a sequence of operations together, typically a boilerplate spec, and just throws it out to the market in hopes that you get success. Mm -hmm. And as I worked with our uh, commissioning group, and started seeing the the repeat things that the commissioning group would say you well, if they would have only done this this and this we'd have a good performing building but then you go back to the design and when no one designed anything they just kind of gave you performance requirements and a sequence of operations like well, we can't make them do that we didn't tell them they had to do that mm. and so you know i I really saw the need and said we don't have any other system that we just kind of give up some boilerplate requirements and hope that it shows up to the project correctly why don't we <laughs> the one that has the most input on how (laughs) in that manner. And so we really dug in and built a team to say, let's, let's get this done right. And that, and the, and the team has grown from that,
0: but it really started in just getting building automation. Right. Got it. Got it. And, and one of the things that just dawned on me is that when, so if you look at before that transition that you guys made, you were doing what, what a lot of people call as low voltage, right? Can you talk about, I know this hasn't come up on the podcast before. That's a that's a term that I think newcomers, maybe people coming from the broader tech industry into smart buildings, don't they don't know what that means when they say that. So can you talk about what low voltage means and why it's called that? And then what systems that applies to? Absolutely. That that is a very confusing term that
1: people and they say, Oh, who's who's doing low voltage on the project? And so mm-hmm. we will we'll get opportunities to work with architects and and provide our services on a project and there's always a discussion of who's going to do the MEP so you know mechanical electrical plumbing maybe we're doing fire protection which includes you know the sprinkler systems and fire alarm and then then say okay well what about low voltage and sometimes it'll be written security AV and low voltage (laughs) and so when we think of low voltage systems it's everything that's less than 70 volts so it's our AV systems security fire alarm and communication structure cabling. But what most people typically mean is the structured cabling. So okay. it's, it's who's going to do that low voltage wiring piece, which is our, you know, communications and used to be cable TV cabling as well. And now that everything's gone IP to the point that it's really just structured cabling okay. um, and then every other system becomes some specialty system. Now in the healthcare market, low voltage might include your nurse call, mm. your code blue system, those kind of things. So there's, there's other things that get lumped into low voltage but we try to always spell it out so that it's clear that okay. we're gonna do then, low voltage, but we're going to do all these systems as a part of that
0: yeah well that, that was gonna be my follow-up question and i don't know how deep down this rabbit hole we're about to go we'll see doesn't then each individual silo have its own low voltage work that's done to set up say a building automation system as well
1: yeah great great question
0: because that was actually one of the initial things that we
1: started pushing forward with smart buildings is to say there you know typically there was a network associated with each one of these things yep yeah. there was the cabling requirement for each one of these things and so we said let's design it in a way that we can quantify all of that have it all be known and then have one structured cabling contractor on the project that runs cable for everybody Right, um, and and that's where we've seen success in helping to drive the costs down and helping everyone to understand their part on the project. The what because what we would see a like say with security systems when everything went network based and IP, security contractors just wanted to hang cameras and card readers and program. So they would sub out the cabling to the structure cabling contractor anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. all done kind of behind the scenes, and you're you're not necessarily getting exactly all, you know convergence for the owner. So it's like well, let's just design it that way so that everybody knows
0: and you don't have to have third party subcontracts between subs exactly okay we'll get we'll get back to that topic in just a little while paul i want you to introduce yourself though can you start with what what your role is at newman boyd and then give us a little bit about your background Absolutely. Thanks, James, for having me on. I'm um, Paul Maximuk
2: from Newcomb and Boyd. I'm a senior associate on the intelligent building team. I've been with Donnie over a couple of years now. We were engaged with IBACON and some other conferences and had an opportunity to bring me onto the team. My background is different than Donnie's. I come from mechanical controls and operations background. I've been in the, that background a long time. Many, many years. I don't even want to say how long I, I'm back in the pneumatic days and uh-huh. where things evolved into DDC and then into eventually IP controllers and other connected systems. I did work for a large automotive. I'm based out of Detroit remote for the team. I did work seven years, about seven years at a large automotive in Detroit. um, working with all the uh, control systems, BMS systems globally. <laughs> For the organization and had a lot of challenges right i mentioned earlier when we were chatting it's always a challenge because specifications as donnie mentioned are not real clear. Things change when it goes out to bid. It's done a few years before the specs change, and now you're bidding to an old spec, so you don't get delivered what you really are looking for. Other things I saw, the equipment's evolving, right? We used to be putting controllers on equipment. Now the equipment can be a direct integration to those devices, which changes things, right? so i'm really uh, excited to be on this team we have been engaged with something different all the time we see some really crazy technology out there it it gets to the point where we look at everything it pretty much is going to be ip based in the near future so mm. really enjoy that and just uh, looking forward to digging into your questions
0: yeah i got lots of them i'll start with nukem and boyd itself though so can you guys talk about donnie start with you the the role that you guys play on new construction projects and the role that you play in the the operation of a building to st- start there and then and what type of clients do you guys typically serve sure yeah I'll, I'll start with the
1: clients as it relates to our intelligent buildings team a lot of the work we do is in the commercial real estate so corporate headquarters large multi-tenant office buildings okay um, but we also do a lot of campus and institutional work so Universities, large healthcare systems, ST type buildings, high performance buildings. A lot of times that's in the university sector. Uh, universities mm-hmm. like, like to build high performance buildings. Hopefully, uh, a lot of those catch on into the commercial. And, and and we are seeing that as well. That a lot of the commercial products we've been associated with here recently have lead platinum. They're, they've done well certification, so they're 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 pushing in that direction as well. Our role is multifaceted. Like I mentioned earlier, sometimes we're the the MEP consultant on a project, but on a lot of our national work, many times we're not. So our our role is. We're, we're brought in typically as the, the, the holistic technology consultant. So we're, we're going to provide all of that um, yeah, converged network, design the, the actual building operational technology network, the structure cabling, AV security, and then be the entity that is responsible for Division 25 hmm. and collaborating with the MEP, whoever is doing their controls. To, to kind of help take it to the next level, help make sure that we have the right points of data associated with everything that needs to be captured. So we do a lot of design reviews, kind of gap analysis and then provide feedback of let's get these types of systems in, let's get meters at these locations and, and tie that back to sustainability goals or to things that might be needed for fault detection and diagnostics to say if we have the right amount of data, we'll have a much better opportunity and operations to really understand how the building is operating. Got it. So so then at that point, we're specifying all of that. And then we'll work throughout the the project, getting into the construction phase. We will typically lead the low voltage coordination meetings, which brings all those technology vendors together um, and then help everyone along the way, understand their adjacent season overlaps and schedule and scope, and, and then bring that all the way through commissioning at the end to get all the systems commissioned to make sure that they're working properly
0: okay so you're playing like a a role in the design phase as the the designer that's responsible for division 25 but then you're also playing kind of like an msi master systems integrator role on the project itself during construction
1: yeah it's it's funny that sometimes people will say well you guys are the msi and 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 we we think of the msi as the one that's actually standing up the platform okay uh, and, and doing the integration of all the different things and so There we we will say we are responsible for the MSI scope, (laughs) but we're going to bring in an MSI that's going to actually deliver the platform. Okay. Uh, Yeah, and and then sometimes maybe people aren't saying that those companies are the MSI. It's like no, they're the platform provider. You guys are the MSI. So yeah, it's a confusing terminology, but we think of the MSI as the one actually delivering the product. And in that case,
0: we're not the MSI. Okay. And when you say products, what are you what are you talking about? What kind of what, what are the capabilities of said product? The software, the platform, the,
1: what everything is integrating to. And, um, and there, you know, I know we'll, we'll chat on this later, but there's a, there's two sides of the, software and, and operating environment that we've been working in. There's the operation side of, a typical building analytics, building data metering and all that. But there's also in a lot more of our projects these days, there's that employee facing mobile app that is getting the the building and the amenities into the hands of the
0: occupants. Okay. Okay, so you're, you're talking about those two sort of what I would call like app, like user centered, and your user focused software applications, you're not talking about like an integration platform like a Niagara, like what, or maybe you are, or you're talking about all three yeah no it's more, a, of the, more of the
1: first two that that the niagara environment or, or some other platform you know that that's typically
0: being routed through the division 23 and someone that's on the project as the controls contract controls contractor okay so where does the integration of multiple silos including controls which platform is that happening in on on most projects that you're working on
1: on a On a Niagara-based project, we see a lot of that happening in Niagara because it's it's a great platform for that. So we bring things in, but we see when you get into the IOT world and in some cases, maybe even lighting controls and we, and there's a smart building platform there. That's got the data normalization analytics and all these things going at that point, unless you're using those points of data in your Niagara system for control. Why, why pay to bring in points twice? So they
0: got, got it directly to the platform. Got it. Okay. And then Paul, it sounds like you, you had some operations experience before joining a Newcomb and Boyd. So what's, what's Newcomb and Boyd's role in like operations after the commissioning process, after handover, all that. So
2: a lot of it is getting the training, um, for that team that is using the application. We, a lot of times are engaged with the whole process from when the project's awarded to delivering that contract and and closing out the project with the owner. We act more on the side of the owner, obviously, Mm -hmm. and help them understand the processes internally and help them develop those processes internally to have long-term support, management of the devices, the ongoing enhancements that they may want to look at it day two Because obviously it's a new toy in the toy box right yeah play with it for a while and then all of a sudden you start to get tired of it so where can you go and, and by then usually the operation team has an idea of where they want to go and what they want to use the platform for
0: yeah
1: okay we, we are working on spinning up a new really operations-based product around monitoring-based commissioning Okay. And, and the the reason for that is when when we first started working with fault detection and, and analytics our assumption is that the operations team was just dying for this information like yeah. it was, uh, yeah. and, and that they were going to get their hands on it and be like "It's it's just what i've been waiting for and, and start operating the building in a different way and and it was really the opposite it was like that's just a a bunch of additional noise i, I couldn't even keep up with all my alarms now i've got my analytics and so yeah. Um, you know, we, we want to you know help with that transition and say, let, let's put an engineering team that is you know helping to optimize the building as, as part of that recipient of the information to kind of, like Paul said, with the training, let's work with the operations team to slowly hand that over to them and, and to the point where they're comfortable with control of the building. Mm-hmm. The normal process of here's your new control system there's a bunch of alarms that, hey, operations team, you probably didn't even have any input on what alarms should be. that the, the design yeah. team gave you that. So now all of a sudden, you've got things alarming. Like, I don't know why it's alarming. I don't know why that's bad. Um, yeah, <laughs> right. I, I mean, honestly, you're handing
2: the keys to the car, but you don't know how to drive, right? So it, it's helping with that guidance and ensuring that the MSI provides those level of details. You know, mm-hmm. We include that information in our dev 25 spec we get a lot of pushback sometimes, and, and we just say that needs to be part of the project because yeah. you just can't hand it over and say, thank you, and then, then you're gone. So, yeah. and as Donnie, I just want to expand a little bit more on that condition risk-based maintenance that we've been working with. There's so many different systems out there right now, but the reality is all that technology is only going to be good if you're going to take action on things. Yeah. So we, we start to drive that value, right? What, mm-hmm. What's going to make sense? when you put in technology that you're going to take action on if if the dampers are broken they need to be replaced so that helps them prioritize what repairs and capital expenditures they're going to take when they move forward because okay. you know, if it's a big ticket item obviously that's going to take a few years to get uh, processed so
0: got it well cool that that'll be a i've, I've I'm, a, I'm obviously a huge believer in monitoring based commissioning having mm-hmm. been a lot of podcasts around it so uh, we're not gonna deep, dive deep into that topic today. I feel like we've hit it no. hard in the past. No. I did wanna, so we're gonna, hit, we're gonna hit Converge Network and different software platform plays in a second. I did wanna circle back on this podcast is gonna come out right before IBcon in June. And I feel like it was just yesterday that the like the three of us, plus the rest of the Newcomb and Boyd group, we were sitting around the table having drinks after the <laughs> last conference. Feel like that was like just yesterday. So I wanted to ask you guys. You guys put a lot of thought into the conference. You're heavily involved. What do you think like the theme of this year's conference is? Paul, you take that.
2: I actually there's two parts to this question. What I want to see is more about the data, right? Because the the reality is understanding the data points, the data sets required to deliver your use cases. And I think that's where there's a big misconception. When you ask people, what do you want to do with the data? There's sort of that blank stare. So we're really trying to get to that point. And I really want to see more of that. I mean, obviously we're going to see technologies. We're going to see different software platforms. I, I think the biggest focus this year is we're coming out of that COVID lockdown. And I think there's going to be a lot of questions from a lot of the operators of these systems and owners of these systems. My whole thing has changed at my campus. How am I going to support a hybrid work environment? Mm -hmm. We see this everywhere because all the data they had prior to two years ago is useless now, right? Mm -hmm. You're not operating the buildings the same. There's a lot more opportunity to look at other integrated systems to bring value to how you're going to manage your building in the future. And nobody has the answer to it because nobody really knows unless you're going to be back to 100% on campus. You really don't know how many people are going to be there at any given day. And that's a challenge. I, I hear that constantly in our engagements. Um, what's the answer? <laughs> if, if anybody can figure that out, they're going to be a multi-billionaire, right?
0: <laughs> okay. But, okay. Yeah. <laughs> And the question is how to operate a hybrid workplace. Is that what you're saying? Right. And that,
2: and you know, and that obviously is the operation of the building, the operation of your amenities in the space, the transportation back and forth, the user experience as Donnie mentioned with the app, it's basically the operations of your space and the user experience. There's Mm -hmm. such a a focus on that user experience, right? And the amenities offered. Yeah.
1: Okay. I think one of the areas that we're keying in on is the convergence of sustainability and smart technology. Okay. And one of the things that COVID showed us is that so many people's buildings are not responsive to occupancy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So no matter how you know well you design the building with efficient devices, not responding to occupancy is like le- leaving something on and walking away from it. It's basic sustainability of provide what's needed and and don't waste resources. And so now that we have the ability to have our buildings be you know so responsive, it, it's got to change the the design, the implementation, and the operations of of buildings. Really it needs to even change the codes in some ways our, our, our codes are all based on rule of thumb and kind of worst case scenarios that like, if you don't know what's going on in your building, then at least do this to the point now where why don't you know what's going on in your building? Yeah. Why, why does it not change when it's completely empty versus when it's got 5,000 people in it? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and, and it's codes. It's also the rest of the, the business itself, right? That's now trying to integrate sustainability, integrate decarbonization. That, that's what I feel like you know, Paul, you said what should be the theme. I, I feel like decarbonization should be the theme. <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that'll be next year's theme or something like that. But I, I feel like a lot of building owners, and you guys do a lot in office, but like across the board, need help with what, what are the technologies that can help us get from where we're at today to where we set our target at in 2030, 2040, 2050, whatever. I feel like that roadmap needs to be dug into a lot more because I'm I'm not sure people have the, we're going to do this. And then we're going to do that. And then we're going to do that. And, and the electrification piece for me is I feel like this big elephant in the room that Mm -hmm. that's what we have to do to get to these targets. And I, I don't feel like I've seen, I, I, it's not a feeling. I haven't seen any electrification plans out of the big companies out there at this point. I don't know if you guys have. We have. We, we've started to see electrification of campuses.
1: We, we've started to see more companies that are based in areas uh, like New York and California that have already you know, started pushing for more of that electrification of them kind of getting that seed planted, that we're going in this direction and, and that type of thing. So
0: Yeah, I guess what I meant was there's seeds planted and there's intentions. I saw a really good, one of our pro members, Lee Hodgkinson, he works at Dream, out of Canada and their portfolio, they have an amazing plan. They're basically like reduce, electrify, and then report. I, I, this really a nice framework. What I'm saying is, they're, the plans aren't to a point where I feel like they're like, well, this exact system has to flip over to this new system type, a heat pump whatever. Yeah. I Um, I guess what I meant is in
1: new construction that we're, we're, we're nice electrification, but I agree with you that, that someone that's got a a heavy reliance on natural gas is not saying, Oh, let's go swap that out because basically you want to get your, your, your life cycle investment out of what Mm -hmm. you've done. And maybe going forward, you're looking at electrification, but yeah, I think that's more of a, of a step two to get to, to say, yeah, we're going to take out this working system (laughs) because it's not sustainable. Right. Well, uh, and
2: I, I, I think a lot of it's uh, geographics too, right? I mean, we see a lot of that on the East Coast, the West Coast, the Midwest, not so much yet. Mm-hmm. But there are some companies that are really starting to put their teams together and try to really capture this and say, this is coming, we have to have a plan, right? Yeah. And when you, enti- when you tie investment dollars and funding for those projects, that's a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we hear about it on Wall Street all the time all these large financial organizations are forcing these companies to do something. Right. So I, I think that's going to be the theme the next few years that'll help drive that change in other regions. Totally.
0: Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor Nexus labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together. And they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexislabs.online. All right, back to the interview. Yeah, I've been harping on this. I learned this concept of committed emissions a couple of weeks ago. Um, reading this book, great book called Electrify. Committed emissions are all of the, basically when you, we install a boiler, a new natural gas boiler tomorrow, right? The committed emissions are all the gas that that thing's going to burn for the next 20 years before it's replaced. Mm-hmm. And what, what I'm not seeing is like, oh, a plan that says when we have a boiler breakdown tomorrow in XYZ building, We're going to replace it with electric and here's how we're going to do it and here's how we're going to fund it and here's what the electrical upgrades are going to look like to to accommodate that i feel like we're not there yet i'm going through that on my house right now i need a new water heater so it's the same thing for Mm. all of the buildings out there that i feel like we haven't i haven't seen that level of planning at at this point and i feel like it's like this thing elephant in the room like i said right well the the real elephant on the room in that regard is the
1: electrification of the automotive industry. So you we're, know, we're, we're designing yeah. a lot of buildings right now where we've got these big parking decks, we're going maybe uh 20% uh, EV charging, 20% EV ready, which, you know, basically just means there's some, there's some conduit in the deck, mm-hmm. um, but when you look at the service size, so you're, you if you plan for 40% of a large deck, your service size of your parking deck is now yeah. the rival service size of the building. And so that, that's a huge investment that um, I'm not sure <laughs> how ready the industry as a whole is. The, the, these projects that we're doing like that are more one ofs where encode code is more, you know, kind of 5% and 5%. But when we start getting, you know, hit that tipping point, all the manufacturers have their, their, at least their plug-in hybrids, if not a full electrification coming. The ability to distribute that power and to control it in a smart way is, is something we're all going to be dealing with.
0: Well, there are a lot of listeners that potentially could have seen electrification plans that I'm happy to have flood my inbox now if people <laughs> have those out there. Um, okay, let's jump into a couple of the topics that we kind of like hinted on a little bit earlier. So Donnie, you mentioned you know, 10 years ago, you guys started doing converged networks or whenever that was. Yeah. Can you talk about kind of where we're at today in terms of maybe start with the, the number of buildings that get built today, how many are being designed and then built with a converged network, presuming a lot of the ones that you guys are on are using converged <laughs> networks, but how much is that, is, is the norm today? Yeah,
1: I, I do not think that it is yet the norm. I think that some of the more uh, progressive forward-thinking developers have put that into practice as a standard and they have an IT team that supports it. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of developers out there that, you know, when, when we we raise the question during the early design process and say, this is the, the route that we want to go. We hear why this isn't the route we went on the previous project. It's extra yeah. cost and those kind of things. And so I've, I've kind of got a, a, a canned response that I give now. And, and that is that the building you just built has a network. In fact, it has multiple networks. And usually what those are of shadow networks that the controls contractor puts in, lighting controls, your elevator. There's all these vendors putting networks in your building. And by it not being purposefully designed, they're typically unmanaged, unsecure. And then at some point, they have to be connected to the internet so someone can remotely patch it and update it and all these kind of things. And so now you've got this fully exposed, vulnerable building. And the only reason you haven't had a problem with it yet is It just hasn't happened yet (laughs) and and so we also have worked with clients that have come to us and said i know exactly what you're talking about because this building got hijacked this building got shut down it's a big problem and so once you kind of expose that vulnerability i've yet to have someone go no 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 just give me the vulnerable building (laughs) Um, and so and then the other thing with the convergence is there is cost savings in unified structure cabling there is cost savings in having one network done right versus Many networks done poorly, and so when 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 people ask us that question about how many do we see, most of them. <laughs> but that's because we're pushing for it. But but it's always it, it's always rewarding to us when we see someone either come back to us and do a second project and say, oh, I like what we did there. We're definitely doing that. That's now our standard. We do that on all of our projects. Yeah. And then, and then of course there's some people that come to us that we've never worked with, and they've already you know been there done that, and they've got their own standards, and we'll you know work with them to adhere to that and and Mm -hmm. also try to improve the remote access side of that and you know implement zero trust and things like that.
0: Converged networks are, are a funny case study in how slow the industry moves, I think, because they're cheaper. It's a change that is, it doesn't involve adding any more costs. And yet it's still happening because this is the way we've always done it or entrenched business models or the different fragmentation of the supply chain. Like those are the reasons why it's being held back. But the funny thing is like, it's it's actually cheaper to do it in the better way. It's Some just, it still doesn't happen.
1: Cost, but what it does add is complexity and complexity adds risk. And so when you've got multiple entities that are relying on that, now the general contractor is going, oh, now I've got this sub responsible for something this sub is doing. I like to keep everything in these nice flowing silos, but yeah. uh, so <laughs> it's very clear for responsibility. So that, yeah. that's the reason on every project, there is this push at first it's with, you know, the design team and then it's with the contractor team to you know yeah. make sure that it actually happens the way that everyone intended, because everyone loves Risk mitigation, and the easiest way to do that is to carve out your own little world and say, "I'm going to operate in this bubble. Nobody, yeah. nobody, come, uh, you know, mess with my uh, fiefdom."
0: Yeah, I, I think what I'm saying is you you can't blame the lack of innovation and the lack of technology in our industry on things cost too much, right? Because it's often things just are getting caught up in, in the way things have always been done a lot of times. So, can you talk about? Cybersecurity. So cybersecurity has always been a big deal, but you mentioned it there. How, how like, how's it showing up on projects today? It sounds like some building owners have been hacked, had their systems hijacked. Like you said, how how does that sort of interplay with the like argument for a converged network? And what are some of the best practices around securing the networks now? Like you mentioned, zero trust. Could you explain what that means? Yeah, Paul, you want to take that. One? Yeah,
2: the serial trust means you trust nobody on your network. Okay. So you have, I I mean, the bottom line is, is setting up the network policies, access policies, access control to the systems, the security and what ports and protocols you do allow and, and do not allow. Typically, a lot of the engagements we are involved with, if it's an enterprise client, we're dealing with their corporate IT team. So We help provide the OT side with their IT side. So we're part of that IT team. Uh, We sit in reviewing what devices go on there. Uh, Can they be secured? We see a lot of pen testing requirements now. Hmm. When's the last last time someone even asked about a pen test? And and now they're actually doing pen tests themselves and having third-party evaluations. So they Hmm. ask for those reports. And a lot of companies obviously don't want to disclose that. Um, they identify, we see a lot of auditing on, on the networks, right? So that's something that's new to a lot of system integrators or MS, you know, MSIs where somebody's monitoring their devices. And then they also monitor the risk on the software platforms that they provide and look at the vulnerabilities. Because I mean, the past two years, I mean, we started working from home there's a lot of individuals that had issues with malware or something got hacked and, and it was poor policy. So we, we've developed the best practices guidance in a recent project I was involved with, we presented that and nobody saw that before. And the GCs like, well, why do we need that? And the MEP firm was there. Why do we need that? Well. You need this not only on our division 25 but you need it across the board on all your divisions that you're responsible for and here's right. why right it, it gives you the process how to lock things down it gives you what you should and should not do and when you work with if they have an msp in those facilities we sort of coordinate those efforts because they set up the configuration for the zero trust network and they're like thrilled that they have somebody that's actually working with them that understands why you need to do this, mm-hmm. and then we get involved with the process management and, and so forth, and how you're going to manage day two once everything is spun up, and manage that long term for change management. So,
0: okay. And what's an MSP? Is that what you said?
2: Yeah, managed service provider. So an IT organization that provides those services. We we work a lot with them. You see
1: the, them a lot on many of these uh, developer projects
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. you know typically when we're working with a large corporation we're, like paul said we're working with their enterprise it group but then you go to a developer-led multi-tenant office building yeah you know maybe they've got a little small it team but they're they're looking yeah. for someone to own and operate and manage that network in the building now that they know they need it they don't want to take that on and hire mm-hmm. it, uh, and so they're looking for. And there, there, will be a lot, a lot of these people at Ibicon that have realized that this is a really good business model and have spun up these MSP
0: for OT provider services. Yeah, but, um, yeah, we've had um, Joe Gasperdoni from Montgomery Technologies. Yeah. So that that's one example of those types of companies. That's right. right.
1: The, the piece um, that Paul was mentioning that that we developed is cybersecurity specification. Um, <coughs> Kind of appendices for the different divisions. Because okay. you know, at, at first we put all of our requirements in Div twenty five. Well, that's great, except for the the electrician on the project is going to say that's not my spec. I'm mm-hmm. I'm Div twenty six, and so um, and and this meter was specified, so I'm putting that meter on the project. And, and until you tie each one of those entities to security requirements, so now we've got this piece that says here's the cybersecurity best practices and requirements for the div 26 and gotcha so that goes into their specification and they realize they're a part of the cyber team and
0: not just someone installing a product that was specified. Mm-hmm. and and you guys mentioned this but it seems like to me uh, we need to re- kind of reiterate it because i feel like sometimes cybersecurity gets shrouded in mystery right there's a lot of technical terms that are kind of outside the buildings industry but Really, we're talking about pretty simple best practices here. So, when you guys say best practices guide, like, what are some of those things? Like, counting out your devices, knowing what devices are on the network, username password authentication, those types of things. Like, is it it's those types of simple things that are just making sure that those best practices are done on each system in the building?
1: And and the, and the network segmentation, right? right of defining um, traffic flows and saying this device needs to right. talk to these things. It doesn't need to talk to everything. So when when you start locking things down appropriately to the level that it can do what it needs to do, but can't do other things, that now you're mitigating risk. And so now you're you're not allowing this camera over here to infect these systems over there because that camera can only talk to that camera recorder. Uh, Yeah. And that's the only thing it ever needs to talk to. Right, right. Got it, okay.
2: And one other thing I was just was going to add too, and it's also about security certificate management for your TLS uh, certificates. Mm-hmm. Uh, every product still comes with port 80 enabled. And what we do is put a guideline in there and what port should be disabled in the software configuration when they bring that online before it goes live. And it basically shuts those down. If they need it for some reason to configure, it needs to be locked down afterwards.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Still seems like simple. I'm not an IT person, but I'm like, okay, those are still pretty, like, it seems like basic. We don't have to like shroud them in mystery, I guess. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Got it. How about with IoT devices? So a lot of times when we talk about converged network, it was, you know, this concept has been around for a long time. We've been talking about converged networks before this really proliferation of New IoT sensors, so mm-hmm. indoor air quality sensors, occupancy counters on down the line, right? Leak detection, et cetera. Where does the this proliferation of devices kind of interact with this concept of a converged network and what are the benefits of having it given all of these new devices? Yeah,
1: yeah, I think the term IoT is also up for discussion because when 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 the IoT really Um, hit the market. I think it was the commercial response to the the home market. So it's your nest thermostats, it's your ring doorbells, it's all of these devices that are network connected and and basically managed directly from the cloud. Mm -hmm. Um, And and there are a lot of commercial devices that are still operating in that model, but in a big commercial setting, is that really the best practice? To have these devices on on your corporate network that are communicating with the cloud when really you need to use that data and and so we we try to separate that and say things that are just network connected that's not really iot so we'll we'll put that over here in the bucket of just everything's going ip and we've got new ip stuff showing up on the project but Hmm. then there are still the iot devices so indoor air quality sensors and some of the people counting sensors really only operate in a cloud environment and they have to be treated separately. And, so and
0: these are these are different because, like, and I have one on my wall right here for people that are watching on YouTube. This is a web server, right? It's a mm-hmm. sensor, but it's also a web server. And so that's that's a different delineation, different type of device.
1: That's right. And and they need to be treated differently and and secured in a different way on the network. And so a lot of times we're working with our clients to set up IoT segmentation to say that device is going to go straight out the door <laughs> and and talk to its. Uh, you know it, it's cloud server, but you know we're we're not going to
0: allow that communication to it because now it becomes a vulnerability on the network. Got it, got it. Yeah. And so it goes to the same thing as it's basically just a routing question. then where where can this thing talk? What ports are open, that kind of thing. okay.
2: in In a sense, yeah, if you ever want to have a great conversation and see a bunch of paranoid people, Sit in meetings with cybersecurity guys <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> or team members, right? Yep. I, I sit in one of my clients I'm in weekly meetings with. They rely on me to provide the OT, you know, the operations input and technology input on there. And it, it goes beyond, most of these devices have gateways, right? You're going to communicate wireless communication protocol MQTT, transport up to their cloud. And they, they are like to the level of how do I lock down the wireless communication? Because hmm. someone can hack into that. And there are some protocols, obviously, that are not as secure as others. And it, it gets to the point where they will really architect it to a point where it has to go through some other security devices, be screened before it even hits any data on their network. Hmm. And typically they segment those gateways in their own IoT zone, right? Even though it's on their network, it's a secure like DMZ that communicates out to the the cloud routes out that way. So very interesting. It, it just, you can't just plug and play. Everybody from the operation side just wants to get the data. They want to plug and play and get in, but it doesn't work that way in reality. So.
0: Yeah. Yep. Okay. Let's talk about a new topic now, independent data layer. So, um, this is something that I feel like has become a lot more, maybe not important yet, but prevalent in, in the smart buildings industry that there's a, I have 75 whole minutes to talk about it at the integrator summit <laughs> in a couple of weeks, which is a bit, I feel like a big deal. and I'm, I'm happy to sort of have control over that much time at the conference. So can you guys talk about like what the general trends you're seeing around the, the IDL on your projects to start with?
1: So, so one, just a, a a thank you to you of keeping this topic front and center. And so it's funny how many people that I've talked about you know, the the IDL to has said like, oh yeah, that, I've been keeping up with that on Nexus, and yeah. So it, so it's really good to see. But the the need comes from we we all understand. Um, Proprietary systems and and open protocol and all those types of things, but as we all started deploying more smart building platforms and places that you're taking your data, clients quickly realized, now I'm locked into that. Um, <laughs> yeah, the new lock in, <laughs> right? And and that is it's a startup, <laughs> and and uh, you know uh, you know really cool in what they're doing right now, but odds are somebody's going to create something really cool and even better in the next five years. And now, how do I get? access to my data. And of course you have those conversations. Everybody wants to say, oh, wait, well, all the data is yours. Or most people want to say that. Some people actually do hold the data hostage, but, but they, they, they want to be able to tell you, this is how you would migrate away from Oz, This is that, but you know, that independent data layer opportunity to say, I'm going to normalize the way I access all of my data. I'm going to bring it in through this layer. I'm going to set it up to stream to the platform that I'm using, you know, that is a, a clear need and and now that you can standardize on that in a uniform way and and change out that software that you may or you may even have multiple software packages with streams going in different directions but yeah i think there's a clear need for that and, and people really do understand that now the the interesting thing that we started having the conversation on yesterday is who provides the independent data layer If that's provided through your integrator that's also selling you your software platform, how independent is the independent data layer in the procurement cycle? Hmm. Um, who Who do you have a contract with? Is it through your integrator or is it through the IDL provider? Those those are real world questions that we're helping our clients with today so that they can really be set up for success and and use the independent data layer as it's intended. But also some of the IDL providers may not be ready for direct contracts and services. They may be thinking that they're going to market through integrators. So the market is obviously not mature yet in, in response to that.
0: Yeah. And and so if I can phrase that back to you, just mirror that what you said, instead of being locked into, and instead of the independent data layer helping prevent lock-in with an application provider, you're saying it could also prevent lock-in with a vendor that helps set up, like an MSI that helps set up the IDL. And so then making it independent of those people too, so they can be kicked off a project if needed. We went dark with it, but that's essentially what what needs to happen. picked well, off a project. I mean that
1: yeah, that that things have gone bad at that point, but it's it's opening up. The first project may not be all of your needs. And so now the next project, you' you're only going to want one IDL in a perfect world. And so you know if that contract is through integrator A, and you're doing project number two with Integrator B, right? How do you instruct Integrator B to go back to that IDL? And you know now you've got multiple contracts for the same product.
0: Got it. No, I mean that makes perfect sense. I think the go the go to market in my mind for the for the IDL software provider is the biggest open question in my mind. Like, do they go? to the building owner, which I feel like what, like you're saying, and I agree what they mm-hmm. that, that's what they should do. But how many building owners are out there going, I need an independent data layer today, right? Mm-hmm. It's really the the application providers are selling an outcome. <clears throat> a lot of times they're selling an outcome, I'm selling you energy savings, or I'm selling you tenant experience, or I'm selling you better indoor air quality or whatever. They're the ones with the salespeople that are going out and saying, hey, I'm gonna change your life, Mr. Building Owner," right? Mm-hmm. Um, Independent data layer conversation to the owner is a, is such it's much more difficult. We're, we're we're enabling all these potential future things, right? And so the go to market for an IDL provider is such a I think a difficult question. Do they go to the application provider? Do they go to the MSI, or do they go to the owner? And I, I think there's a lot to shake out there still.
1: Yeah, and then you've got the mix of the digital twin conversation, and is 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 the twin going to become the IDL and all that kind of get merged together?
0: Yeah which is a great segue if we want to continue our, our question. So what, one of the things that I also wanted to ask you about was if we take our conversation back to where we were earlier with the platform um, piece of this. So this concept of a building operating system, or I think you guys call it a smart building platform, right? Maybe the first place to start with that theme is like, how is that different than an IDL in your, in your guys' mind? Yeah, so
1: when we're... Typically looking at a smart building platform, we're looking at something that gives you the ability to apply data tagging and and apply intelligence to that data through analytics, through a trending and graphs and normalization and all of those types of things. And so it really is the application that's using the data. So, you know, again, we see in a perfect world, all of our data is funneled through an IDL. And then okay. it's the application, that smart building application, that's providing it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, or providing the, the intelligence and giving you the actionable data and, and the visualizations that help you interpret what's going on with the building. We okay. have you know, the smart building platform. The the term building operating system can be somewhat confusing because like you mentioned with a with Niagara system, like that's kind of your building operating system, right? That's, that's what people are programming in. That's what is really tied to your controls for HVAC, and in some cases also integrating your, your lighting controls and other points of data. And so we, we like to really differentiate a, a building operating system from a smart building platform. Now, in some cases where people's smart building platforms are doing full command and control and they're building out HVAC graphics, they're really building out intelligent floor plans that give you lots of insights into exactly what's going on. And there's no other tool needed to operate the building. Then at that point, that's really a building operating system. So, some of our clients have gone that route and have uh, a a really cool building operating system that now becomes their standard and any operator that operates the buildings within their portfolio only uses that software. And then the only person that's going to an underlying control system is maybe a controls contractor coming in to reprogram something or add a new device. Yeah. Um, but then others, they, they maintain an entire building control system. And, and some people at different technician levels only work in that platform. And it's more the high level building operators that are using the smart building platform, building okay. operator, sustainability team, different people that have needs for that information layer are using the smart building platform, but it's differentiated from the controls platform.
0: Got it. Okay. So it feels like a little bit to me like that the building operating system concept kind of like fits in between an idl and what you're calling a smart building platform which is smart building platform is more application based like i'm i'm, I'm doing analytics trying to provide some sort of outcome with the data using some sort of dedicated user interface Interesting.
1: Actually, the idl is between the controls platforms and the smart building platform. Cause like, like the, the okay. campus that we're working with right now, they have two of the large proprietary systems on campus mm-hmm. uh, and then they
0: have a lot of uh, network connected meters and that type of thing. Okay. Uh, so yeah. it's something like Diagra sitting above that and then IDL above that then.
1: Okay. You no, know, IDL just going, your, your control system is going directly into the IDL. So normalizing how you pull data from those platforms and get it into the smart building platform. But that, in that case, there is no Niagara. And then there is no Niagara. Kind of yeah. that that part of that ideal discussion. When you say now, instead of having the front ends of these different proprietary systems, I'm going to go all non-proprietary and bring it into Niagara. It's, yeah, at, at that point, got it. Almost like Niagara is becoming your ideal. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, this is a funny conversation to me because I feel like. We don't yet have like definition on these terms. We don't have convergence on what layers are where in the stack yet from an industry standpoint, because I feel like you could go find other buildings right now that are different than that, what we just described there. One of the things that I I sort of feel, I sort of like feel ownership over the IDL concept. And one of the opinions that it's like growing on me is that it's so much work to set up a data model, to set up an ontology, right? that mm-hmm. it almost feels like it should be part of the IDL instead of like basically not leaving that open to an application provider to define that. And then if you want to use a different application, you lose your, your data model at that I point. Agree. Agree.
1: I, I agree. I agree. I do think that, that really your your data tagging and your, your whole ontology belongs at the IDL. And, and that if that's done well, these applications are going to be able to use the intelligence of that data model to, you know, you know, really be able to do rapid deployment of what they're doing. If they're having to take just raw data and, and do all the tagging and create the ontology in their system, then you, you're right. If you change out your providers, the next person's going to come along and have to do the exact same thing. It's
0: so much work to do. You wouldn't want. You don't want to lose that. You don't <laughs> right. want to lose that piece. Cool. Well, any, any other uh, challenges and thoughts you guys have from your current projects around, around those two types of software platforms?
1: I think the other challenge that we see is um, that there is a, a desire to have more of this data in the hands of the operator. And, and, and there's a lot more sophistication in the smart building market around these building operating systems that we're talking about whereas that mobile app and the occupant experience user experience patient experience for the different types of buildings that you're in those platforms are still very much custom and Mm. and expensive okay and and the odd thing is the user the use cases and user experience expectations from it we're seeing are starting to get a lot more standardized Mm. and there, there really needs to be more advancement around that to the point that these modular applications can be applied in a way that you may be tailoring it for the specific user experience of that building user group, but you're not reinventing the wheel and, and going as custom and as expensive as we're seeing each one of those uh, that they're taking. So I, again, I'm sure someone will respond uh, to the podcast and say that they, they're doing it.
0: They, they have that figured out. Yeah, I get that. I
1: get that all right. Reach out to us. Exactly.
2: And, and I just want to add on that too. It, it's also an, a, another analytic source for the business, right? It yeah. really provides some deep insights it it really helps drive your use cases is is it really what's going to work and if it it doesn't you can pivot in your as you move on into your next deployments so very interesting we we see a lot of times that's part of what the business owners want to see as well
0: yeah so you guys are talking about like occupant facing mobile applications right yes. and those being it sounds like a lot of the ones you're seeing hit hit projects right now are more customized versus configurable. Right. That kind of dichotomy. This it still speaks to me as the like the value of the IDL then would be to get data back from those applications, right? Absolute, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. that's
0: I don't think that's an aspect that I've heard anyone explore yet. I think I think that should be explored further for sure. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that we're seeing in this whole next-gen hybrid
1: workplace is that it, it's amenity-rich. The, the amenities and the social aspect are the reason people are there. Yeah. You, used to, you were there to get your, your work done, and it's the only place you can get it done. And now everyone's working from everywhere. And if all I need to do is go sit at a desk and do heads-down work, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it fine from home. But those, those amenities that create corporate culture is the opportunity to you know, really bring people together So if that is the most important factor of this location, yeah, you better make sure that it's being used and that, you know, you've got good feedback and that you've, you've hit the mark. And so those types of analytics can help you from a reservation from occupant study and and all that to really give you those insights and help. Cool. Very cool.
0: All right, let's close this off. We could talk about this stuff all day. Let's uh, shut this down and I'll see you guys at, at, at IBCon. But before we do, let's do some carve outs. So what what uh, book, podcast or TV show or movie uh, do you recommend the audience checks out? Uh, it could be personal or professional. Start with you, Paul. Nexus podcast, oh. <laughs> without a doubt. You didn't have and, to say that. And, and <laughs> my movie,
2: sad. my movie is Skyscraper. I think it's very relatable to what we're working in now, technology-wise, and very interesting. Of course, the rocks in that so makes it exciting. So nice, nice. What's the plot of Skyscraper? I haven't seen this movie. Terrorist attack in the building, and the technology that was able to save the building from oh, burning to the ground. Yeah, it's perfectly so. relevant. All right, yep. very cool.
1: Still sounds like Die Hard to me. It is newer though.
0: Newer than newer, like Die Hard. Also, right. is it also a Christmas movie? Yes. All right, cool. What about you, Donnie? Well, I, I, I wish I had
1: uh, something to uh, to tie to the technical, but I'm actually uh, still binging Ozark, and I've got one and a half episodes left, and so I'm, I'm I'm almost done with that. I
2: won't kill it for you, then. I know the the ending. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Ozark's one of the shows that my wife likes that I have never watched and I don't intend to get into it because I'm like, I don't want to, I do not want to go down the rabbit hole. I have enough enough rabbit holes that i have gone down. Yeah. Okay. So mine is this book I'm reading right now called Waste: The Waste-Free World. And it's really interesting. It's about the circular economy concept and about how our economy is basically set up to take, make waste, essentially. That's the linear old way of doing things, I guess. And it's about basically how, you know, it's really about innovation. So it's this business owner that wrote the book about all the different ways in which new startups are coming in and sort of making different loops in our economy and, and creating circular, circular pieces of the economy. We don't have a circular economy uh, circular pieces are, are being built, which is super, super interesting. I, I don't exactly know how the book ties into buildings yet, but we we'll, I'm, I'm sure that I'll develop thoughts around it and get there at some point. Oh, that sounds cool. Cool. Well, thank you guys for coming on the show. We'll put all that in the show notes, including the skyscraper link. And I'll talk to you guys in a couple months or a month or so. A month. That's right. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart buildings industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.